Hello and welcome back to the NUFC Opinion Blog. Today I'm joined by another Newcastle legend for another interview in John Gibson, who is a, a Chronicle columnist and has been for many years now, since 1966, am I right in saying, John? Yeah, that's absolutely right, Danny. Yes. Yes, yeah, so we'll get straight into it and talk about, a little bit about journalism first. So was, was journalism, when you started, was journalism always the ambition? Was, was that always the sort of career path you wanted to get into? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, going back to way, way back to when I was a, a little lad in Benwell, um, every one of my mates wanted to play for Newcastle United. I didn't. I actually wanted to write about Newcastle United. Don't know why, but I always did. And uh, from being a very little lad, my granddad made me a scrapbook out of uh, brown paper. And I used to stick in cuttings of Newcastle United players from the paper and write in pencil underneath something about them. And it was amazing because some of those players were Jackie Milburn and Joe Harvey, who I went on to work with yes. uh, when I covered Newcastle United. Joe was the manager and Jackie was in the uh, press box with me. So it was always my ambition. I was single-minded about the whole thing. And um, when I got to sort of school leaving age, I wrote to every weekly paper in the Northeast asking for an interview. Nobody took any notice of me bar one, which was the Hexham Courant. And uh, they gave me an interview. I went up there and um, luckily got the job. But the, the job naturally was reporting on everything, on yes. weekly papers. You know, I wasn't specialising. But for me, my whole week was built around the Saturday when I would cover... Um, a football match mm, and indeed, uh, indeed. I would have a day I would have a week to write up the report which was absolutely wonderful because it allowed me to think about it uh, and I put up with everything else which included council meetings and um, I mean I stood outside of churches all over the sort of Tyne Valley taking the names of, um, of uh, the people the mourners to, to list in the paper so that was that was some sort of grounding but I always knew I was going to specialise in sport and uh, the Chronicle asked me to join them three or four times and I refused because I knew it would be once I got on the news side, I would never get onto sport. And so I waited and waited and waited and sure enough, they offered me a, a sports job. But that was before I went to Fleet Street. It was covering non-league football. Then I went to Fleet Street because I believed that was the thing you did. Doctors went to Holly Street. Journals went to Fleet Street, etc., yeah. etc. Et so I went to Fleet Street, and then I came back to cover Newcastle United. Yeah, and so obviously you joined the Chronicle as we mentioned there in 1966. And so, what was that like to obviously finally realise the ambition of being a sports writer and covering the team that you supported and liaising with all these famous names as you mentioned, Joe Harvey, Jackie Milburn, Win Davies would be around at that time as well, to name a few. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, it was surreal, really. When I went to Fleet Street, I thought that was going to be it. You know, um, that was me for the rest of my career. Once a Newcastle fan, as you know, Daniel, always a Newcastle fan, cradle to, uh, cradle to grave. So I was always a Newcastle fan. But out of the blue, the Chronicle come on to me and said, would you come home to cover Newcastle United? And I thought, wow, to cover Newcastle United? I didn't intend to come home, but I, how do you turn that down? But I thought I'll be a cheeky boy. So I said, well, yeah, I'll come home. But um, I would want to cover all the World Cup finals and all the Olympic Games abroad. Mm. Uh, and if they'd said, 
on your bike, no, I would have still come home. But unbelievably, they said, yes, you can. So home I came. And my introduction to it, I came back in the, the summer, the early summer of 1966. They said, right, we'll cover the World Cup before you start with Newcastle in the August. And um, covered the Northeast group first, which was North Korea, who was sensational at the time. And yes, the Essen Park wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Newcastle's ground wasn't good enough to host them. No, it wasn't. No, we didn't have any. But I covered all that, and then went on to to cover England for the rest of the trip. So, nineteen sixty six, I come back. England won the World Cup by sixty eight, sixty nine. Newcastle had won a nice European tour. Yeah. So I'm thinking. What a career I'm going to have. Newcastle's going to win something every few years. England's going to win something every few years. And of course, neither have won a single thing since. I've kept following them, but they don't win anything. Um, but I mean, it was fabulous for me to come back and work with people like Joe and Jackie Milburn mm -hmm. and people I knew. And very quickly, Joe built up the Newcastle side. And we were in Europe three successive seasons winning it the first season, um, and it was a fabulous roller coaster. There was never, we had a few near misses, but never any successes since 69. Indeed, indeed. And so, obviously, you've been in the profession for, for many years now, as we've mentioned. And so, what do you think makes a good journalist? What sort of qualities, what sort of skills do you think make, make a good rider? Very good, very Walter? good uh, question. Yeah, I've done 55 years unbroken and still doing it with the Cron cover Newcastle United. I think the Green Train Robbers got a shorter sentence than that. But uh, not 55 years is a fair old bash, so I guess I must be doing something right. Um, the, thing, the things I've found that, that really stand out, apart from the obvious, trying to develop and improve and polish your writing skills, is you've got to be very dedicated and you've got to be dedicated to the extent that you can't dictate your hours. It's not a nine to five job. Mm. The job, once you specialize, I'm talking about, like covering Newcastle United, the job is to be done when the story comes. The story might be nine o'clock at night. It, it yeah. might be one in the, uh, in the afternoon. Whenever the story happens, you've got to be there and be prepared to cover it. So it will dictate your lifestyle to a certain extent. And the more and more you go on and you get experienced, I think the thing to do when you're covering a club like Newcastle United is that you will always get outside influences. The, mm. the owner or the chairman will want to dictate what you say about the club, so will the manager, etc., uh, etc. Et and you cannot afford to be intimidated. You must... The person you've got to be true to is yourself, because by being true to yourself, Daniel, you're true to your readers or your listeners, because you're giving an honest opinion, you're not giving the party line. And that has been with me the whole of my career, and is particularly with me now, when we have a regime that we don't automatically adore, uh, i.e. Mike Ashley mm -hmm. and i.e. for a lot of fans Steve Bruce you've got to tell it the way it is or at the very least the way you see it as opposed to the way the club see it um, because 
Jody fans are no fools. They know their football, they know sincerity, and they know if you're wrong. And they don't mind you being wrong if it's an honest held opinion, but if it's because you're towing the party line, they object very much. And the problem I had, I had no problem with Mike Ashley because I've just confronted him from day one. I, uh, it hasn't worked out well personally, but I, I am very proud of the fact that I've been willing to take him on. The problem I had with Steve Bruce is that Steve Bruce was a dear friend of mine from his playing days. I have always had a close relationship with Walls End Boys Club. He was Walls End Boys Club. Uh, when he played for Manchester United, etc., etc., he was a terrific and close friend. Now, when he then became a manager, I didn't think that he ever reached the heights he reached as a player. Mm -hmm. And when there was talk that he was coming to Newcastle, I prayed he wouldn't get the job, not only because I didn't think he was the right manager for Newcastle, and I didn't think he was, but I knew it would stretch our relationship. Because I knew if he got the job, I would put personal friendship to one side yes. and sell it the way I saw it, with him in the job. Now, a lot of people who were, who were friends of Steve Bruce in the media, either ex-players or hacks like me, go down the route, well, the friendship's all that matters. And so they tell it only from Steve Bruce's point of view. Uh, that friendship, I would suspect, doesn't exist at all now because we've clashed because I disagree with a lot of the things he's done at Newcastle and I've said so. Um, but if I'm, if I'm taking money uh, from the Evening Chronicle to represent the fans by giving an honest opinion, then I want to give my honest opinion. I don't want to give the club's opinion. Uh, that is not what I'm there for. And if I see the job being not done as well as I would hope it was done, I feel I've got a responsibility to say so. Yeah, I know. A great answer. Uh, and of course, as as well these days, as well as obviously covering uh, the chronic covering Newcastle and the Chronicle, you do the Steve Wraith show as well, alongside Supermarket as well. Yes. And, and, and so, what's that like? Of course, because it's a bit different to writing. Obviously, it's, it's more broadcast journalism in a it sense. Is. So, what? How, how do you find that? Well, the interesting thing, Daniel, is having been in the written word for so long, because. It's 55 years with the Cron, but before that, I worked a couple of years in Fleet Street, and before that, I was with the Cron Down Table and the Hexham Caravan. I've always felt that I wanted to push myself to see how far I could go within the scope of what I do. So I've done that in several ways. I started writing books because uh, journalism is about pricey. You've got to condense something into a thousand words or 750 words, a book, you've got to expand it to 60,000 words. So I tried writing a book. I was successful at that. I've done 16 books now, by now. Um, so I, I felt that I could do that. I wanted to go out and meet fans live because I can write something in the paper before podcasts started. And the reaction of the public, you never actually saw it, whether mm. they thought it was a great article or a poor article because you didn't have personal contact. So I went and took shows on the road with talk-ins, Michael Parkinson type things. Yes. And I did that a lot with a lot of Newcastle players, both current ones in the old days, because current ones did that then, and ex-players. And you got the feedback from the audience and was a totally different ball game. And then I've made 
documentaries with Glenn McCrory a lot on Newcastle United subjects like uh, Huey Gallagher and um, uh, <coughs> interviewing Shearer, etc. And doing podcasts like this. And I like pushing the boundaries to see how far you can go as long as I feel they're within my possible sphere. And also it brightens the thing up and it keeps you uh, not only in the public eye, but up to date. It, rather than what I don't want to become is just an old dinosaur that's wheeled out every time an ex-footballer dies to say what a wonderful guy he was. Uh, I want to be a bit more than that. And this allows you to be a bit more than that. So it's been terrific fun. And the relationship with Malcolm McDonald and the reason why I do the Steve Ray show with Supermac is that he become a dear friend. In the old days, you could get very close to players, much more than you can now. Yes. And Malcolm is one of those I got very, very close to, were gelled from the start. Uh, and even when he went away and left Newcastle and played for Arsenal and then was manager of Fulham, we always kept in touch. We were always friends. I advised him to come back to live in the Northeast because he could have lived in London, where he is a Cockney. But I said, look, there's a million famous people in London. There's not many famous people in Newcastle. It's a number nine legend. So you will have a much better living working up here than you would working in London. And when he married Carol, his last marriage, and a lovely, lovely girl, I was, ironically, I was friend of both of them before they went out with one another. And I was best man at his wedding. So that's the close relationship we have, and which is why we, we work together now, not only doing Wraithy's podcast, but I ghost his column, which appears in the Evening Chronicle once a week. Uh, so there's a good relationship with him. Bob Moncur, the, the first cup winning skipper, yes. was my uh, his uh, godfather to one of my girls, Irving Natras, who played in the in the 70s at Wembley for us has gone further to another one of my girls. So there's a lot of link in with Newcastle United all the way. And you keep those sort of friendships for life. Yes. And that's great. That's wonderful. Indeed. And so just to wrap up the journalism side before we get onto Newcastle this season, uh, obviously we've mentioned there that ju the journalism these days is it's it's a multi-format sort of profession. As yeah. I say, there's, there's the written word, but there's also the podcast, the television, the radio. You have to sort of be versatile. So. For someone who's starting journalism and getting into it, like myself, for example, or anyone else yeah. uh, who's studying it, what advice would you give to try and get into a have a good career? Have a well, a good career, I think is the well, best. Well, yeah, persistence is one of the one of the first things because everybody in any profession will get knockbacks. As I say, I could have got decimated. I wrote to every northeast uh, weekly paper and they didn't even bother to reply and say that I wasn't going to get an interview. They just ignored me. The one paper was the Hexham Courant that come up and bless them for that. And that was my grounding. It's got to be persistence. It's got to be enthusiasm. It's and you've got to care about the profession. And I think the best journalists aren't nine to five people because uh, journalism doesn't lend itself to nine to five. Mm -hmm. Stories happen when they happen. They don't happen in your time. And you've got to be willing to put yourself out, have enthusiasm and resist pressure. And I, I don't think you would get it to start with, Daniel. 
if you were just going on to a newspaper and covering news, etc. But if you began to specialise and you happened to be in sport and you specialise in a club like Newcastle United, then you will get pressure because club chairman, club owners, managers will unquestionably try to influence your thoughts and, and what you put out there. You can't really afford to go down that road um, because it makes life tough and to me, you're living a life of a phony and, and fans see through phonies. You know? they, do. they don't necessarily have to agree with everything I say, but they know it's from the heart. Um, yes. If you're towing the party line, there's nothing that's more irritating than somebody doing that. Um, but I think to start with, it's perseverance. Don't be thin-skinned about getting knocked back. And believe in yourself, believe in your ability, because if you've got the desire and you've got the persistence, you must have some ability. So yes. believe that it is there and just believe other people's, it's their fault if they can't see it. It's not your fault because you haven't got it. Nine times out of ten, you will have it. Keep going. Great answer. Now, moving on to the football side of things this season. Oh, dear, yeah, that's it. Which is where things get a little bit more depressing, unfortunately. <laughs> but obviously, Newcastle's start to this season has not been brilliant. We haven't no. won a single game yet. We've got one point after four fixtures now. In in, in a sentence, how, how would you sum it, sum it up so far? Uh, shocking, depressing, demoralizing, aggravating. Uh, all those things because I mean we could see it coming yes that is what is really frustrating is that at the end of last season when we were relieved and delighted to have survived and realized we just did it by two things that happened in January which was the signing of Joe Willock and the signing of Graham Jones to be a coach Mm -hmm. He had a great influence behind the scenes. Willock had a great influence on the on the park. But when we got to the end of last season, there was relief, but we knew that we escaped. We'd had about 20 games with two wins, something like that. It was an awful day. run. It was it? dreadful, and it was awful to watch. So we knew we'd escaped. So this is our opportunity to do something about that. We had to improve the squad. The only trouble is, we had an owner who doesn't care in the good days. In the bad days, when he wants out and he wants to sell, he's so disinterested, he's not even going to turn the garden over in, outside his own house. You know, he's going to just ignore and neglect everything. Uh, we have a manager that is unpopular uh, with fans for several reasons, following uh, uh, Rafa Benitez didn't help. Rafa Benitez had a huge CV. Uh, Steve Bruce has, hasn't anything like that sort of CV. There's a feeling amongst fans that he's a yes man and, and tolerates what uh, mm -hmm. Ashley says to him. Consequence, in the summer, we got Willett back. That was wonderful. And we've got him yes. perfect, uh, permanently. That was great. But we were told that we've got to be grateful for that. Uh, Certainly, Ashley told Bruce that he, he had to be grateful for that because Bruce has told us many times, well, clubs at Premier League level can't be grateful for getting one player. And all no. getting Willock did, however good he is, 
is make us exactly the same squad as we were at the end of last season. Minus a striker because Andy Carroll had gone. So minus a body in a striker. And that told us, one, we had absolutely no cover for Callum Wilson. Two, in midfield, we lacked legs totally. A typical example when he plays a Shelby who can't get round the park. We've got nobody quick in the middle of the park. And there's more holes in the defence than there is in the calendar. I mean, it, we've got six central defenders and it doesn't matter which three picks out the six. We know the leak goals. The evidence is that they've leaked 12 goals in four games. Yes. Callum Wilson is a wonderful, wonderful striker who can't stay fit. Yes, who can't, and four games in, we're now facing it could be out till the end of October. Now, that shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise Steve Bruce and it shouldn't surprise Mike Ashley because that's the way it was last season, injury-wise. But we've deemed it not necessary to have cover from up front. We haven't bothered, even on loan, to get a midfielder or a central defender in. Now that's criminal. And we are paying a huge price for that now. And we've, we will continue to, at least until January. Yes, this is the issue. The fact that, obviously, we brought Willard back in, but we, apart from that, we've stayed still, whilst other teams have around us have, have, have gone totally, on to... Daniel. Yes, totally. have gone on to uh, improve their squads. And so, obviously, last season, we know, of course, how that went, and we did escape in the end, but there was that awful run. And given the fact that the squad is no better this year, do you, do you see this season being another tight, nervy one where we might just escape again if yes. not go down? Yes, I do. Um, and it hurts me to say that, having covered Newcastle for 55 years and being a fan since I was a little lad on the terraces, my uncle Frank used to take me to walk from Benwell all the way to Big Lamp down to St James's Park and stand at the Leases Inn. From I've been starry-eyed from those days onwards. And to say what you say about Newcastle breaks your heart, really. But I think this is going to be a greater fight against relegation than last season was. For example, Steve Bruce didn't face any backlash during those that 20-game run of two wins because there was nobody in the grounds. Mm -hmm. There are people in the ground now, and they're not going to stand placidly and watch Newcastle lose game after game after game after game. And everybody's a little bit older. If you take our central defenders, they're all around 30 or above, Mark, age-wise. We've got no legs in the middle of the park outside of, of Willock, and we've got no cover up front. We give somebody like, Dwight Gale, a new three-year contract at the age of 31, then Bruce doesn't even put him on as a sub for one solitary minute of the four Premier League games we've played. Why has he got a three-year contract? I mean, the only reason it he has... It's baffling, isn't it? It's completely it's, baffling. It's ludicrous. It is absolutely ludicrous. The answer, supposedly, is because... Um, Ashley just won Pegs Phil, you know, the 25-man squad. So he can get rid of this club that he no longer wants Aye, to be. And he just wants the Pegs Phil. So it's it's cheaper to keep Gale there to fill one peg than it is to buy somebody to go in his position because you've got to shell out money. Um, but then you've got the exact opposite, that Bruce 
has no intention, obviously, of using Gale unless a dire emergency arises because he's never put him on for one minute. Joe Linton has played in every game this season, in virtually 90% of the games since he come, either starting or getting on. And his goal-scoring record, I'm not having to go at him as a guy or as a player, why, but his goal-scoring record's abysmal. Um, and we do not play uh, Gale for one second. I'm not meaning he's the answer by any means, but he can score goals and we need goals. As, as much as Dwight Gale isn't probably cut out for the Premier League anymore, he, he, he still has that natural striker ability that yeah. Joe Linton doesn't have, certainly. Yeah. Yes. Don't you think, Daniel, I mean, I don't think it's just me, but on the odd time you see him come on, which is normally in a cup tie or something like that, yes. that uh, um, Gale, he looks, his body language tells you that he's just, he's sick, he's fed up, he's disillusioned, he's not... Bubbling is not like let me get out there and burst balloons and and he looks like he's got the cares of the world on his shoulder. Like he knows that he's not getting selected on merit, that he's just filling a gap because there's nobody. He's just else taking the squad number. Gap. That's all. He's just taking and, the squad place. Yes. So the mm. you know the spirit of the thing is, is not good, and the centre halves. I mean, it, it is absolutely ludicrous. What, what annoys me with, this, with the setbacks is that, obviously, and I know we have to move on from our previous manager, Rafa Benitez, and obviously that is in the path because he's now at Everton. But under him, we had largely the same centre-halves as we do now. Correct. And they were tight defensively. They didn't concede many goals. And all of a sudden, now they do. So what what's it, gone wrong there? Well, well, one, because they were coached by Benitez, who was an yes. excellent coach, and, and yes. they're not now coached by Benitez. Jones's strength in is coaching attack. Yes. is the attack, a midfield in the attack, not the defence. You would think Steve Bruce, having been a magnificent centre-half that, that you would think United, so would be able to organise that bit of it quite easily. Um, but it, it, it is, you're quite right. All right, they're a year or maybe two years older, but you don't lose it that quickly. They are not organised. And I think a lot of it, you know, is to do with the skipper, Liz Sells, is so aware of his own limitations that he doesn't want any space left around him. He plays deeper and deeper and deeper because he's worried about the space behind him, people running into it. So he's almost playing on the toes of the goalkeeper. And he wants a three because he wants the other two at his shoulders so yeah. nobody can run down the sides of him. And, and consequently, we feel deeper and deeper and deeper and tighter and narrower and we get murdered on the wing back, so when Murphy and Richie aren't defenders at all, they're attackers. I mean, I, I like Jacob Murphy personally as a midfield winger. I think he's a very good winger, but he's not a fullback. That's absolutely correct. That's absolutely correct. And we are so narrow because, I mean, Lascelles doesn't want to get pulled outside of the width of the posts. He just wants to play between the posts. He doesn't like getting out onto the wings or getting dragged out there because he's exposed in the, around them. And he dictates how we play at the back, but we haven't... You can throw any of the... And by the way, we do. We dropped two out-and-out centre-halves in the last game to play Hayden, who's a midfielder, at the back. And yeah. we still let four in. Um, honestly, we play Leeds and 
for me, you can take any of the six, the seven that have been used at centre-back this season and pair any of them together and I'll still be apprehensive because the coaching defensively seems to have gone out the window. We're not, we're just, we're just, as you rightly say, defensively we were very mean under Benitez with the same players. With yes. exactly even, the same players. Even Jamal Asselz, when, when Benitez first came, this was a man who was rallying the dressing room, of course, and, the, and he was shouting at other players and trying to get them into shape. But yeah. even and, and and at the end of Benitez's first season in the Premier League, when we got promoted again, was being touted for England in the World oh, I know. squad. I mean, it, it and, has regret, and has regressed so much. It's unbelievable. Yeah. But, I mean, in lots of ways, Daniel, it's not just him. He has. But if you can look at quite a few players... Uh, I mean, Sean Longstaff and Matty Longstaff, you can look at Almiron until he had the great game that he had at Manchester United. He was brilliant against Manchester United, Almiron. But they've they've gone backwards. Instead of progressing, they've gone backwards. The two Longstaffs, um, uh, they've all, Almiron, they've all taken little steps or large steps back Mm -hmm. rather than progressed. And... It's now frightening. And what we do with Callum Wilson out, say, until the end of October, um, when so much then rests on Sam Maximum, mm. who we know can easily get fed up. Is, is a and injured as well. Count. He can get injured himself because he gets kicked oh. in every game as well. Absolutely. He's very injury prone because he takes a lot of kicking. He's very much likely to sort of get disillusioned and, and chuck his hand in. And at the moment, he's got every reason to get disillusioned because it's, it's, all it's all it's on him. It's all on him. Totally, totally. Yeah. Um, and Almiron, where's he played? He's played, it's quite obvious. You look at his body language, forget the Manchester United game, his body language has been poor, as was Dwight Gales. And as for me, by the way, it was uh, Fraser. His, his body language yeah. is as if they're depressed, as if they've got all the cares of the world on their shoulders. And I think Almirin, Steve Bruce must look at him and decide, I've got to have him in the team because he does so much running and he tries to get the ball up the field and he's an outlet. And then he doesn't know where to play him, whether mm-hmm. to play him as a winger, whether to play him as a 10, whether to play him as an eight, what to do with him, apart from the fact that he must be on the team sheet. And I think the kid's getting disillusioned. I mean, because he's thinking... What am I? What am I supposed to be in this side? Um, and really, the longer we talk, Daniel will end up at the end of the this podcast cutting my throat and, and being relegated automatically into the championship. It wouldn't surprise me, John. It wouldn't, <laughs> unfortunately, it's the way things are going. But to sort of sum things up, then, uh, and, and, and actually move away from this season specifically, and not yes. Newcastle as a club in general. I don't want to mention the T word, the tick, because no one knows what's going to go there, and we're all sick of it. And yes, we are. It's 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 draining and frustrating. But if in an ideal world, and with Mike Ashley not as owner of this club anymore, what would you like Newcastle United to look like and be like as a club? That's a very very good question because while we don't want to talk about that word we don't want to mention yeah. uh, until it happens and I don't mean with the prospective owners we've had I meant with any new any owners yeah. until Ashley goes we would be talking like this week upon week, month upon month and year upon year because 
it won't change. It hasn't changed for 14 years and it won't change. It's not just the manager. Um, Steve Bruce can take a lot of blame, etc., etc. But changing him won't change our fortunes. Changing mm. Ashley will change our fortunes. Uh, and that has got to happen sooner rather than later. And heaven forbid that Geordie's can be so unlucky the next one that comes along is as bad as Ashley. Because that is a possibility. You're never certain what you're going to get you you, until they're here. You're never certain what you're going to get. Um, but having said that, if you look, you say, what can Newcastle be? Newcastle can be almost anything. If the Manchester City owners had taken over Newcastle United, with the fan base that Newcastle United have got, I mean, what were they, what were they doing going and taking over Manchester City? They weren't even the best club in their own city. Manchester United were. Why didn't they come and take over Newcastle, who's in their own city, one club, mm -hmm. and have... I would say, and I'm biased, more fervent fans than Man City have, um, we could have easily been as big as any of them, which I think was what the reason this the so-called Elite Six were against the takeover happening because they didn't want an Elite Seven, they wanted an Elite Six, and we would have forced our way in. Having said that, without being overambitious, without saying we could be the next Man City, and we could if we'd got their type of owner, you look at you look at what Leicester have done. Leicester City, yes. a smaller club than us, with a smaller fan base, however passionate those fans are, and they are, that club has taken the Premier League Championship and the FA Cup, which he had never won in the history, the FA Cup. Mm -hmm. They've won, the, won the FA Cup and, and the Premier League Championship in the last X number of years. Why can't we be like that? They've opened just a new training ground today as well. Brand well, new well exactly. Why can't we be mm -hmm. like them? There is absolutely no reason whatsoever. And they've proved that you can smash the big cartel by winning the title. Okay, you could say it was a one-off, but they've stayed in that top six. Yes, since they the haven't left us. They've never left it, no. No, and they've gone to Wembley and, and won the FA Cup. Now, what would we give for that sort of thing? And yet it must be galling to every Newcastle fan that Newcastle United are now looking up at Leicester, Leicester City. City. Yes. And, you know, it, it is. And what worries me, Daniel, is that there's going to be a generation of Newcastle United fans, and there probably already is with their dads, who are never going to see Newcastle win anything. I mean, I'm one of, I, I think I'm the only journalist still working who was actually reporting on Newcastle United the last time they won something, which was 1969. Yeah. Uh, now, that is horrendous. And yet, so you've got a generation beneath me and a generation beneath them that have Myself. never... Correct. Absolutely. All I've ever known is Mike Ashley, really. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's frightening. That is absolutely... And it's wrong because we've never really had to go in the FA Cup or the League Cup no. in your time. That, that, that The Ashley years, that's been disregarded. We could have a situation where Newcastle United fans in 10 years' time, there'd be nobody left at Saw 69, say, they'd have never seen Newcastle United win anything in their club that 
if the mid-table sells out at 50,000 Jodies every home game. The fact that there isn't 50,000 now is quite deliberate because fans are sick and trying to have a go at Ashley. But there's a generation that will fill St. James's Park with their passion for the black and whites who have never been... It's easy to follow Manchester United when, when Ferguson was manager because they, they, they win something every season. It was easy to follow Arsenal when Wenger was manager. But to follow Newcastle the way Newcastle fans have for nigh on 60 years, incredible. This is what frustrates me about saying the supporters of Manchester United or, or Arsenal because I know obviously there was the whole European Super League debacle and they're all saying, oh, we've got terrible owners and they've tried to... They haven't got a clue what terrible owners are, realistically. <laughs> Absolutely, they haven't, they haven't got a clue what we are as passionate or more passionate as them. And I think we're more passionate. Because it's, it's, it's easy to support success, Daniel. Of course it it's is. Easy of course to support. It is. It's very hard to support failure. We are the greatest supporters of failure the world has known. That is either our biggest asset or our biggest drawback. Probably, both, on... probably a bit of both, to be honest. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. But I love that sort of passion. You should support where you're from, regardless of how good or indifferent that side is. And the Geordies are brilliant at doing that. But it's about time they got some encouragement. We got fleeting encouragement under Kevin Keegan when the entertainers were built, yeah. which was absolutely wonderful and vibrant. And I'm so delighted because I was part of the Magpie group that made that happen, Sir John Hall's Magpie group. Yes. Uh, so that was wonderfully entertainment to see. And we got a bit of it again with Sir Bobby Robson when we went taken right from the bottom up to third top with Bobby, second top with Kevin. Uh, so we got... Ironically, neither manager got silverware. That is absolutely incredible when you think they didn't win any silverware. They didn't win the FA Cup or League Cup. It's unbelievable. But we got second and third in the in the Premier League under those two. But those two apart, we've had a succession of Alan Pardews and Joe Kinnears and John Carvers and Steve Bruce and uh, this is this is Ashley's idea have given us good managers. I mean, you know, Benitez was an accident and he couldn't get him out the door quick enough. Um, Benitez approached Newcastle, I think, is the actual line as well. So he Benitez came to us rather than we went looking for him. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Well, we wouldn't have gone looking for him because we'd think, uh, A, he was too good for us and B, he'd be trouble. And Ashley was right. He was trouble because trouble to Ashley is somebody with ambition that tries yeah. to make you have ambition. That is trouble. And that is why a lot of fans think Steve Bruce fits the bill because while he might have personal ambition deep inside, he's not going to rattle the cage of the owner too hard uh, because the owner might just object. And so we're living in this vacuum, which we're going to live in until things change right at the top. I mean, it's staggering that for young lads like you, at the start of a season, all we've got to look forward to is that our fight against relegation might be successful. And by the way, that's the highest thing that we can aim for, that it yes. might be successful. Dear yes. one here, isn't that awful? It's, I mean, that, you know, a club this size should be knocking on the door of the top eight every season uh, without a shadow of doubt and winning a domestic trophy every four or five years or at least getting to the semi-final or the final. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. We don't do any of that. And and by the way, Steve Bush told us well in the two years he's been here, we've reached the quarterfinal of the FA Cup and the quarterfinal of the League Cup. Yeah, in the FA Cup when we reached the quarterfinal, the first time we played a, a Premier League side, which was Manchester City, we lost. Bad. And in the League yeah. Cup, we reached that the quarterfinal. It was one of the worst performances against Brentford I've ever. We played was Brentford, and by the way, remember Daniel, we played Brentford reserves. Reserves, yes, it they wasn't their first Ivan team. Tony and everybody came off the bench. He came off I, the bench exactly. It, it, they left them out the starting lineup and still beat us one 0 so we really haven't had a go in the domestic. We're already out of the League Cup this year yeah. uh, against Burnley at home, for goodness sake. I mean, it is depressing. If this goes on much longer, we will be cutting each other's so We will. We will. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I don't know why I've decided to become a journalist and try and report on this all, because as far as well, I'm concerned... I mean, I, I've said that I'm not going to retire from writing on Newcastle United till they win a meaningful trophy. And by trophy. that, I don't mean the championship because that is they shouldn't it's be not, in it the championship. It's not a major trophy, no. No, it's not. So I'm not going to retire until we win one, which so means... So Premier League, FA Cup or League Cup. Correct. Correct. And, and to do that, you will be coming to my 100th birthday party because I'll still <laughs> not be retired and still waiting to see us. But, I mean, the, the observed thought that's in your lifetime you might not see Newcastle win something. I mean, I'm certain that you will, because we'll get... I'm, only, I'm, I'm 20, so I've still got some time Oh, left. I think, yeah. But I tell you what, if you go from 69 to 2021, 20, we haven't won one, and we don't look no. at the moment like winning one at all. So no. it can we, be fighting. It can be. But no, I'm an honest believer. At the end of the day, once we get rid of Mr Ashley... Uh, my cup will be half full, whereas at the moment it's half empty. Yes, no, I fully agree, John. That's a fantastic way to wrap up the interview. Thank you very much. It's great. Really Lovely to talk to you, Daniel. And, and you, John. Um, I see you in the press box at St James's Park. I hope so. You with a yes. big cigar and a bottle of champagne celebrating Newcastle <laughs> and, love, and writing I'd about love, it. I'd love to think so, I'd would. <laughs> Thank you all very much for watching. And how are the lads? Absolutely. Keep the faith, my friend. Keep the faith.